Welcome in to Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. My name's Matt Pauley, coming your way from the WTMJ studios. And in Maryvale, you've been listening to him for the uh, last couple hours, and now we're going to totally lock in on Milwaukee Brewers baseball as uh, Greg Matzik down in Arizona for Brewers Spring Training. Hello, Greg. Greetings, Matt. I wish you were here with me. I wish I was there, too. You know, my favorite part right now of, of you being on, I, I, uh, now am I correct? Am I hearing, like, the the lawnmowers and everything going on in the background? Is that what I'm hearing? I'm telling you, it's very therapeutic. Yeah, we've got the leaf blowing going on. They're cleaning out the stands in that area, and they'll get through the dugouts. And i just watching the sprinklers uh, tickle the lawn, right? They just finished mowing. So you got that fresh-cut grass scent on a 91-degree night, so... Not a bad spot. Not a bad view. Yeah, I was driving down I-94 today to come to the uh, come to the station, so I'm going east, and I get past Miller Park and go maybe a mile or so, and there's a billboard. I was telling Ashton about this a moment ago. There's a really cool billboard. It's uh, It looks like a tarp that says Miller Park on it, but then on the far left side, it's be it's kind of in a rolled-up position, and there's actually like 3D people standing upwards pushing the tarp, and you see a little bit of field to the left, so it's like the tarp coming off the field at Miller Park. It's a, I'm doing a horrible job explaining what it looked like, but it is uh, it got me excited for baseball as I was driving in today. It uh, looks like summer. Good enough. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we you spend a lot of time doing baseball stuff. And before we go any further, we'll tell folks uh, you can get in contact with us by calling the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 or uh, texting the line. I enjoyed your conversation with Ryan Braun. And you know, we'll get into it a little bit more later on, Greg. But I, the the conversation of... Is he going to be a brewer is an interesting conversation. And to me, and, I, and you hit on it a bit, I think, I think he is going to be a brewer unless a team just knocks the socks off of, off of David Stearns. There's, there's nothing really pushing him out of Milwaukee at this point in time. No, and, and the Brewers seem very happy with Ryan Braun as a Milwaukee brewer. I, I don't think there's a high level of urgency to trade him. And I, I think if there was, a trade would have been done last year or at the winter meetings. Now, I didn't think a, a new trade or something different would happen at the winter meetings versus what we saw at the trade deadline and toward the end of last year. And once he got through the winter meetings, it became very clear to me that with each passing day, it not only becomes more difficult to trade Ryan Braun, but it also becomes less likely because it becomes more difficult as his 10-5 rights kick in in the month of May. So... Uh, unless something happens here with a contending team in the last couple of weeks of spring training, I, I'd be shocked if Ryan Braun were traded. And I, my gut feeling says if he does produce like he did last year, uh, he may not get moved at the trade deadline either because it's just becoming more and more difficult to trade him with each passing day. You know, I appreciate guys who go through a low period for a team and then being able to come out of the other side of it. And just from a from a, a personal watching him play, watch how he goes through uh, his, his day-to-day business, I hope he stays with this team for a couple of years. Uh, it would be a fantastic story if he's kind of the one remaining guy who's on a playoff team in the future for the Brewers who was on a playoff team before. And, I look, I don't know if we're going to get to that point. That might be too far down the road for him to still be around. But uh, for personally, I hope it gets to that point that he gets to play at least one more playoff game as a member of the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, so you got a couple things working here, Matt, as, as I kind of assess it. You've got a 33-year-old who is still producing. Uh, no question about it. When he's healthy, 
the results are there. And uh, he told me that he hopes to play about 150 games this year. Candidly, I'd be shocked if he played that much. I know he and Craig are going to work on sort of a game management sort of schedule, right, to limit the amount of day games after night games and things like that, things you just kind of have to be wary of as you move with a veteran player through the season. But you also have to watch out for the outfield prospects who are developing. So at what point do you, you have to get Lewis Brinson in a game? And, it, look, that is not, you know, today, tomorrow, or even in the month of May, but at some point this outfield group is going to take a step forward with players. And uh, I think you've seen a lot of great things from Lewis Brinson, who is a high-character guy, he's a, a speed guy, he's six four, he's built well. He's like Keon Broxton with, you know, 25 more pounds on him, and he's only 22. Uh, I mean, the sky is the limit for Lewis Brinson. And Keon Broxton's had a great spring also, and I think he's going to be either the leadoff hitter or number two hitter in Craig Council's opening day lineup. And Domingo Santana, I think, looking for a bounce back here, hoping to pick up from where he left off at the end of last year uh, when he had some injury issues toward the middle of the year. And, oh, by the way, you drafted Corey Ray with your number one pick in last year's draft. So you, you can see the pipeline developing, and I didn't even bring up guys like Brett Phillips. So at, at what point does does that start to take over? And I think you have to take that into consideration, but I don't think that point is right now. No, I don't either. And for, I think, you know, something that we're going to see from David Stearns moving forward, it's this this Brewers organization is never going to be in a position again where they've got guys leaving as free agents and the cupboard is just bare. You know, if, if, a, uh, if a Lewis Brinson forces himself onto the roster, and he can outplay Domingo Santana, well, guess what? You can trade Santana, especially if he's performing well, and get some more prospects and continue to replenish the system, and you're not having a... You're not... You're not hurting yourself at the big league level when you do that because you're bringing up a guy who's going to be able to perform at a high level. And, and there's also insurance there. You talked about Brett Phillips, and Brett Phillips could still very much uh, be somebody who's part of this big league team going forward. But if we're being real honest about Brett Phillips, a year ago, the timeline on him was last year he was going to start the season at AAA, and if he had a really good season, we might see him in Milwaukee as a September call-up. Well, now we're sitting here a year later, and we're talking about him going back to Double A for the third year in a row. And yeah, there's some injuries involved in that, and uh, they're they seem hesitant at time to to throw guys at Triple A. But not everybody's gonna you know perform, and not everybody's gonna come all the way through. And that's just the part of having baseball prospects, and they they don't all work out. So I I I can see a scenario where Ryan Braun can continue to produce in left field, and he ends up not being the guy who gets moved out. Well, another guy to keep an eye on, too, is Ryan Cordell to see if he moves up that prospect list. He was the player to be named later in that Lucroy trade. He's another. He's a big cat, man. Yeah. He's about 6'4". He's built well, and, you know, he's, he's new to the Brewers' system this year, but obviously familiar with Lewis Brinson. They were roommates together uh, in Texas minor league camp a year ago. But he's another guy that could move up the prospect list and you know get ahead of a guy like Brett Phillips if he continues to do some of the things we've seen him do during spring training. So uh, when you're in this mode, Matt, and uh, you know it, uh, the fans know it, you, you cannot turn your head on talent and potential talent. You, you need to stockpile because it is a law of averages, and, and some of these prospects are going to be suspect unless they prove themselves. So you've you got to stockpile talent wherever you see fit. Don't, don't worry about plugging a hole at a given position. It just get some of the best players you feel you can get in your system and let it kind of play out. But Ryan Cordell's another guy I think you have to watch for this season at the minor league level. 
We will continue to talk about a number of things Brewers related. We're really at that point in spring training now where the light is at the end of the tunnel and, and the season's going to get started here very, very soon. Uh, when we come back in a moment, I want to talk more about the starting rotation. Two things on the starting rotation. A, Matt Garza, what do you do if the numbers stay where they're at right now? And then secondly, if you've got six guys who have put up really good numbers in spring training, do you try to do something creative? So we'll get into that. We'll talk some more Ryan Braun. Last week I had the conversation about Eric Thames and, and his slow start to spring training. Well, he's starting to heat up just a bit. What can we expect out of him? I want to revisit a conversation that uh, Greg had with uh, Carlos Torres about the World Baseball Classic. There is nobody better on the Brewers about just talking openly. And there, there's no cliches that come out of the mouth of Carlos Torres. So I want to revisit that coming up a little bit later on as well. We'll be taking your phone calls. If you'd like to uh, give us a call at 414-799-1620. You can also uh, text us. It is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Brewers Weekly, and we'll continue with more in just a moment on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly continues here on WTMJ, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, available to you at 414-799-1620. You can also uh, always tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio, that's M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio, or drop me an email, matt.pauley at wtmj.com. You know, Craig, uh, and Greg Matzik alongside as he is uh, at the Maryville uh, Baseball Park down in Arizona covering Brewers spring training and Craig Council had some interesting things to say today he kind of when he was talking about the starting rotation was kind of hedging his bets in terms of I think trying to get people to back off the uh, really looking at the numbers and taking too much from the numbers but that being said Everybody who's competing for the starting rotation, even a Taylor Youngman, who's not even barely considered kind of part of that competition, he's on the outside looking in, everybody's putting up pretty good numbers. Zach Davies' overall numbers aren't great, but that's because of one single bad outing. The only guy who is really consistently struggling is Matt Garza. And he struggles again today where he goes three and a third innings line, four runs on five hits. So far in spring, he's thrown eight and two-thirds innings. He's allowed eight runs all earned on 14 hits. He's sitting with an 8.31 ERA. And, Greg, this once again begs the question, and, 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 you know, Matt Garza can turn this around. He can pitch really well in the final three spring training games. And If he pitches well enough to be in the rotation because of the money he's getting paid, he is going to be in the rotation. But if he continues to put up numbers like he is right now, the Brewers are going to have an interesting decision to make, and it might just be eating that contract and letting him go. Matt Garza is a complete waste of time. I hope he doesn't make the team. I've had enough of him. I really, he's stealing a check. Twelve and a half million bucks to do what he's doing on the diamond is just a joke. Uh, it, the team is beyond Matt Garza. You know, we talk about his contract and you know, the money that he is making, and he's not performing. Uh, I, I hate it when we get into those discussions where it's, well, yeah, but because he's making twelve and a half million bucks, you have to have him out there. No, you don't. You're you're a rebuilding team. You do not have to have Matt Garza out there. Your payroll's among the lowest in baseball. If you have to eat the salary for a year, you eat the salary for a year. It's time to part ways with a guy who has no business being on the Brewers. He's not a part of the rebuild. He's not performing well. It's just time to move on. And I am a little worried about the starting rotation. I think Junior Gary has performed rather well this spring. I try not to get too wrapped up into 
you know, one bad outing or, or one great outing for that matter during the spring as guys are kind of working on things and building up their own conditioning. When it happens time after time after time, like it has for Garza, it's just a continuation of what we saw last year. A guy who's going to win some games and show some flashes, but all in all, he is not going to live up to his contract, not even close. But you're looking for some sort of stability with this rotation, and, and I'm not sure where it's going to come from. I, if you're betting on a 31, 32-year-old junior Guerra, okay, I mean, he had the year last year. Can he do it again? It's a big question. He hasn't done it in back-to-back years before. And I think there's a, a ceiling that is fairly high for Zach Davies. That's great. But then you're talking about guys who need to have a bounce-back year, and Jimmy Nelson and Willie Peralta, namely. Chase Anderson, I think he's... He's a 500 pitcher. He's a four and a half ERA kind of guy, and I think that's fine. Uh, if he's in the low fours, great as a number five. But Matt Garza, I think, should be the odd man out of this rotation. I would put him in the bullpen. I don't think he'd accept it. Cut ties, cut weight, let him become somebody else's problem. And there, you look at his contract, and the way I read it, there's a there's a 2018 option that vests automatically if he starts 110 games during the first four years. He's sitting at 74 starts right now, so that's not going to happen. He can't be on the disabled list at the end of the 2017 season and pitching at least 115 innings in 2017. It vests for 20, uh, for 2018. So I think if the Brewers, you know, the Brewers can't put themselves in a situation where that thing accidentally vests and all of a sudden they've got him for another year. If you let him go now, you, you eat the $12.5 million, but you don't have to worry about him again. I think ultimately if, if, if Matt Garza had performed well in spring training and was really dialed in, I, I think the Brewers would be openly shopping a guy like Matt Garza for those reasons. And just the fact that he's, you know, he's a 30-something at this point. And, and 30-somethings it don't often have a role, especially 30-somethings who are making a lot of money don't often have a role in a rebuilding team. It's a little different when you have a, a job at Chamberlain who is kind of a steadying influence and a, and a little versatility there, can be a bullpen guy, can be a starter. You know, guys who are, are at a different stage in their career are not going to command the high salary. Garza still has the high salary, and he's not performing. Now, to me, that's a lose-lose, yeah. right? So it, move on, right? And there is no amnesty rule like the NBA used to have where you could just <laughs> you know pay a guy to go away and he wouldn't affect your salary cap, but... Again, salary cap is not an issue here for the Brewers. Hey, they're not going to be pushing $100 million for several years. So hey, if you have to eat a little bit here, I know it's a bitter pill to swallow. And, and look, it's not my money, uh, so easy for me to say it. But uh, you're, just, you're just at a point of no return with Matt Garza. He is dead weight, the classic definition of dead weight. Well, and, Greg, it's a different conversation this year than it was last year because you let him go last year, you pay him out the rest of last year, and you pay him for this year. You're going to, no matter what, unless you can trade him, and right now I think he's untradeable, you're, you're going to eat the $12.5 million. So is Matt Garza worth more to you on your roster, or is he worth more to you off of your roster? And just based off the young guys who are competing for this starting rotation and giving guys opportunities, I would argue that Matt Garza is worth more of that money not pitching for you than he is pitching for you. Yeah, it's just a matter of time, but these are interesting decisions. I mean, right now, uh, it was interesting listening to Craig Council. It's almost like he was expecting maybe somebody to have a rib injury or something, right? Yeah. Where uh, it seems like every spring training something happens to somebody, and you know the rotation depth gets tested early on. It did last year when Garza was hurt leaving camp, and Zach Davies stepped into a role rather immediately and then never gave it up. So he earned that opportunity and held on to it, which I thought was pretty impressive. Uh, now, do you have somebody kind of knocking on the door and ready to make that jump? 
it could be Taylor Youngman to, to try and resurrect a, a season that he had a couple years ago. Josh Hader, I think they want to give some more time at the AAA level. But, again, when you're talking about guys in their early 20s or even mid-20s who have an opportunity who you want to see a little bit more of, I'd rather take my chances with them than a guy who I know is not a part of the plans moving forward. There is certainly enough time for an injury to happen in the starting rotation, and it seems like that happens more often than not. But let's live in a utopian world for a moment and say no injuries happen, and those other six guys competing for the starting rotation all continue to put up very good numbers. What do you do? We'll talk about it next. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Weekly continuing here on WTMJ. He oversees one of the most important and highly traveled corridors in the state. The other one led the prosecution against convicted murderer Stephen Avery. Kenosha County Sheriff David Beth and attorney Ken Kratz joined Scafidi and Billstad's Friday Forum at 2.07. My name is Matt Pauley. Greg Matzik uh, joining me today for uh, Brewers Weekly as he is down at Spru- uh, Brewers Spring Training in Maryvale. If you'd like to join us, you can do so. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So if you want to uh, get in touch with the program, you can do so either by calling us or texting us. Greg, I've got a belief that three of the five spots in the starting rotation are taken. I think Zach Davies, Junior Guerra, and I put Willie Peralta in there as well. I think they have jobs locked up, barring just falling flat on their face in spring training. Some people disagree with me on Peralta, but just for argument's sake, let's let's stick with that and say those three guys are in. So then, And let's also go back to our last segment and say Matt Gars is out. So then you have three guys competing for two spots in Jimmy Nelson, Tommy Malone, and Chase Anderson. You don't make too much of spring training numbers, but they're all we have to work with right now. Chase Anderson has a uh, 2.70 ERA. Jimmy Nelson has not uh, given up an earned run. Tommy Malone has pitched well. He's got a 3.12 ERA. So the question comes. The question you start looking at is, if all these guys continue to pitch well, do you go with the five-man rotation, or do you maybe see Craig Council try to do something a little bit creative and maybe use some of, some of these guys as, as hybrids where they're starting and they're relieving, the, something like that, just to be able to have all these guys in the rotation, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things to keep into consideration. And I think that you know, the way the pitching has lined up, I don't think it's any different than you know, how David Stearns is trying to develop his position players. He wants versatile guys. I mean, a guy like Hernan Perez can play seven positions, for goodness sake. You've got guys who can play multiple positions in the outfield, in the infield. Well, in regards to the staff, bullpen and starting staff, you've got guys here who can start and can be long relief. So in the case of Tommy Malone, he's kind of a unicorn in the Brewers clubhouse because he's a lefty. Yeah. So he gives you an opportunity there to start a lefty if you need, or could be a long relief guy. You've also have Brent Suter, who started a couple of games for the Brewers last year and is a lefty, and it could be a long relief guy. Maybe Suter starts at the minor league level, and you keep Malone as a long lefty reliever, capable of you know eating up three, four, five innings if need be. The Brewers have shown the last few years that they don't believe it's critical to have a lefty in their starting rotation. If they have guys who can get lefties out, that's okay. So you'd like to see that kind of reassert itself here with guys like Jimmy Nelson and Willie Peralta who have been hard on righties and lefties at times in their career, just not consistent enough. I think Nelson has been a horse. I think he's been outstanding. 
and I don't think he's a candidate for the bullpen. I think Malone and Anderson have both pitched well, and both are candidates to be in the bullpen. They could both do long relief. They could both start. So I would say Jimmy Nelson is, has a spot here, uh, and I'd be surprised if he didn't. So then it comes down to, in my opinion, you still have Matt Garza you have to include in the discussion, but Chase Anderson and Tommy Malone have pitched much better than Matt Garza have. So, so what do you do? And I think you have to decide that if you're the Brewers, if all things are equal, is it critical to have a lefty in the rotation at the start of the season? Or is it more important to maybe have that lefty coming out of the pen who can be a three or four innings or can be kind of a spot guy and give you an inning or a batter based on the situation? You know, something that's done in the minor leagues a lot, and we've, I don't think we've really ever seen this done at the major league level, and there's lots of reasons not to do it at the big league level. But when you've got a situation like the Brewers right now, I wouldn't be against a Chase Anderson and a Tommy Malone almost being in a piggyback situation where Anderson is going to go out there. You said it earlier. He's a guy who's going to give you a 4 ERA. Chase Anderson goes out every fifth day. He throws five innings, and then you bring Tommy Malone in hoping to get four, and those are two guys that handle one day. And in a perfect world, you don't use anybody else. It's something that's different, but Craig Council, I think, has shown. you know The way he uses the back end of the bullpen, especially going into extra inning games where he kind of reverses things and uses the closer back. I mean, we've seen Craig Council be very open to trying some different things. Maybe that's what you do. You, It's not an official sort of thing, but you look at these guys and you say, okay, you're, you're going to have Anderson and Malone essentially piggybacking each other every fifth day. Well, you've got Tyler Cravey in that mix. I don't think he's pitched terribly well. I don't think he breaks camp with the Brewers. You have Java Chamberlain as well. So there's a lot of options here. If if the starting staff somehow becomes thin, and we talked about a lot of names, I'd be surprised if it becomes thin. But you do have options there in that uh, relief core who can step in and give you a, a chunk innings, I guess, if you need to. And uh, I, I'm going to be fascinated to watch how it plays out, yeah. because I think the back end of the bullpen with Corey Knable, Neftali, Feliz, I think you feel pretty comfortable there. Michael Blazek, I think, has a spot here as well. But then you're talking about middle-inning guys, five, six, seven. What do you do there? Now, I, I think you do have to have lefties mixed in somehow, and, and right now Suter and Malone are kind of your guys. So you need to have that somewhere, whether it's in the rotation or the pen, and to have a couple of options I think is is nice. You don't have to lean on a guy like Will Smith. And then you even have Carlos Torres, who uh, pitched incredibly well for the Brewers last year, kind of seen it all and done it all before, but another guy who can give you a seventh inning and an eighth inning if need be. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line available at 414-799-1620. Got to switch gears a bit as we welcome uh, Mark from Delafield onto the program. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey guys, yeah, uh, here I, I've got a question for you about Braun, and, and I'm trying to think back. I mean, if at any any time in the last couple of years they talked about maybe not on a full time basis, but on a limited basis, playing him at first base. Now this next year with somebody like Brinson, that might open up a little more experimentation in the outfield. And I guess if you know Eric Thames, everybody wants to be very confident that that works. But if it doesn't work, even to give him a day off, has that ever been a, a consideration? Particularly when Braun starts to get a little more age on him, the first base sometimes a little easier. And, and, and plus, he's got the bat. I'll, I'll hang up. I'll listen to your response online. You bet, Mark. Appreciate the phone call. I think I think that's a conversation that might happen 
in a year plus. He's still a very good defensive outfielder. Last year, uh, he was the most consistent uh, defensive outfielder for the Brewers. Kirk Neuenheist had some uh, had some good moments in, in center field, but there was some bad outfield play, whether it was Ramon Flores or Domingo Santana. Keon Broxton certainly had his issues at times, and Ryan Braun was just steady out in left field, and he's so good against that wall, he knows what he's doing. Could we eventually see Braun move to first base? And, and, and Greg, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. There's so many outfield prospects. Do, do you eventually have your best team by putting him at first? Maybe, but I don't think that's a discussion yet. Yeah, I think if if that were something Craig Council and David Stearns were thinking about, I, I think you would see Braun at first at times during the spring, uh, or even taking balls over there, shagging, or doing something to get comfortable with the position or just get his feet wet. And you haven't seen an ounce of that, at least I haven't, uh, during my time down here. Now, you, you do have some flexibility here at that position with Hernan Perez, who can play just about everywhere. Travis Shaw can move over and play first uh, if you need. So, again, it, you really have to admire what David Stearns has done here, putting a roster together. I, look, it's not going to be a playoff team here, but he wants versatile players. He, it, it's very clear that he wants guys who can play multiple positions uh, and do it well. And the other guy playing first, and it was kind of a an under-the-radar sort of pickup for the Brewers in the offseason is Louis Aguiar. And every time I look up, this guy is just smashing a ball. Yeah. I mean, the guy is huge, and he can just rake. And he led the minor leagues at the AAA level in home runs last season. So there's another potential big bopper bench bat who comes off the bench and uh, can fill a role for you. So I'll be curious to see where he starts. I mean, he has done nothing but just hammer the baseball during my time here. Accident Mortgage Talk and text line 414-799-1620. We will continue to talk a bit about uh, Ryan Braun, his position on this team now and going forward as we continue with Brewers Weekly in just a moment on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly continues here on WTMJ. In Milwaukee, one man helped two others attack his former roommate and leave him for dead. What's the penalty, you ask? Jeff Wagner has the story tomorrow morning at 1035. My name is Matt Pauley, Greg Matzik down in Arizona as he uh, continues to cover Brewers spring training. And uh, Greg had a great two-part conversation with Ryan Braun. You'll be able to uh, hear it on the website at WTMJ.com on the uh, Sports Central uh, mobile page, uh, the podcast page. Greg, I, I think Ryan Braun is one of the most interesting athletes you're going to ever find. because I mean, there's just so much to his past, and, and we don't need to spend too much time on it, but there's people who feel very strongly about him in positive ways, people who feel very strongly about him in negative ways as well, and then he just goes out. Uh, he's an absolute professional, does his work every day, continues to produce at a, at a very high level. Does he... Is he one of the best athletes you've ever seen in terms of just being able to channel out all the other stuff and just go do his job? Well, you start to look at what he's built up here for a long time. And I know there's a lot of questions about, well, was Ron doing something wrong, uh, something illegal for the bulk of his career? And whether he was or wasn't, I think he has shown an ability to produce as a scrutinized athlete, an athlete who's now removed from a mistake he made and then lied about. That all happened. That's on the record. It doesn't go away. Uh, Braun apologized for it and has tried to move on. I think Milwaukee fans have forgiven him in bulk, but I don't think the rest of baseball in terms of the fan bases have forgiven him. Now, that's not to say he is not a hot commodity. And I think when you're a hot commodity at the age of 33, you're doing something right. 
Yeah. And I think teams like the Dodgers, teams like the Giants, look at what Braun can still do. And I think they look at his bat and say, this guy's going to be able to hit as long as he's healthy for an awfully long time. Uh, he's in good shape. To me, it uh, looks like he lost a little bit of weight, but is strong. He still has the legs at the age of 33 and still plays a great outfield. So uh, he takes care of himself the right way, from what I can tell. And he also has a little bit new of an outlook. He's a father of two right now. He's got a two-year-old, and he's got a six-month-old at home, uh, along with a wife who works. I mean, it's, it's a busy time in the life of Ryan Braun. So he's also able to compartmentalize uh, some major aspects of his life and still produce. I don't think his trade value could be any higher than it was a year ago. And that's pretty impressive for a guy who at the time was 32. He played in 135 games last year, which was a... That's a fantastic number for a guy coming off back surgery. And I, th- I feel like that's lost. He was coming off back surgery. Very few players coming off back surgery are able to just step in. And he was never probably 100% last year. He's just getting back into that now. The idea of him playing 150 games, you said it, that might be uh, that might be shooting a little high. But if he goes up to 145 games this year, if he does get close to that 150 mark, that's a spectacular number for him. Yeah, I, I think the results will be there, too. I mean... Don't you? I mean, it, yeah. he's been such a consistent producer uh, when healthy. He's just got to be in the lineup. When he said 150 to me, I was that that seemed like a very high number to me. Um, and I was thinking kind of in my own head, if if he plays 135, 140 games, I think he'd take it um, because that means he'll be healthy and he'll have some you know scheduled days off, and, and that's fine. I get it; it's understandable. But if he gets to that 150 mark, I think those all-star caliber numbers will continue to be there. And then I think it also keeps his trade value at a high. But, again, we talked about this earlier on the show. When when we hit May, he becomes a 10-5 player, 10 years in the league, 5 years with the same team. And then he can veto any trade that would go across uh, his nose. So it's interesting. David Stearns is keeping him in the loop on everything, uh, and he doesn't have to. Uh, Braun appreciates that. I know it. So uh, it's an interesting dynamic between the GM and the player, but you know certainly a guy who can still produce. If Braun goes 150, I think he hits 300, gets to 30 home runs. He got both those marks last year and also gets to 100 RBIs, and that would obviously be a spectacular season. When we come back, we are going to uh, shift gears and look over at first base, not including Ryan Braun in that conversation. But now uh, Eric Thames seems to be coming along just a bit. And you got this Aguilar guy who's putting up big numbers as well. What does that mean for the position of first base this upcoming season? We'll talk about it next. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Continuing on with Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ, my name's Matt Pauley. Greg Matzik down in Arizona. have about 15 minutes left in the program. It all comes down to this. The Division One and Two Boys Basketball Championship games are this Saturday in Madison. Our Preps Live coverage will kick off at 6.15. Listen live on WTMJ.com or on the WTMJ mobile app. I'll actually have those games for you. Looking forward to being able to broadcast those from the Kohl Center. All right, so every year... And it's only, we'll see what happens. Last year, uh, Junior Guerra was a very under-the-radar signing that turned out big. So this year, might there be another one? Is this going to become a thing that David Stearns gets really good at, at claiming somebody during the course of winter and them having a big impact on the team? 
if it does become something that happens on an every year basis, the number one candidate this year is Jesus Aguilar. So far in spring training, he's hitting 424 with four home runs and 10 RBIs, and he's not slowing down. This wasn't a case of him having a hot start to spring training and then all of a sudden, he, as more big league guys are pitching in games, his numbers are going down. He's on a four-game hit streak uh, as of right now. And Greg, you've seen him. Does he look like the real deal to you? He's huge. I mean, and I mean, he's just he's a big, strong dude. I mean, he really is. And he has just mashed the ball. Uh, ever, uh, he just had, it, taking BP, he's got a different sound, right? He's just a big, powerful man who has hit the ball very hard since I've been here. And showed him on his glove at first base, too. I, he was hitting DH today, or playing DH as uh, Eric Thames got the start. But in Aguiar, you've got a guy who was the AAA home run king last season. 30 home runs, drove in 92. He was a waiver claim from the Indians. Brewers picked him up here at the beginning of February. So, I mean, he's brand new to the organization and joined the team and probably didn't know many people. But, you know, he's an interesting guy because he's clearly a power hitter. And he is also a right-handed power hitter who gives you an option at first base. Keep in mind that, you know, Travis Shaw has played some first base in his career, but he's going to start at third. He's a lefty. Eric Thames is a lefty, right? So you'd like to have maybe a guy from a different side of the plate just based on matchups. So Aguiar becomes a guy who is a little bit of an instant offense sort of guy. And if he can prove that he can pinch hit and be a spot duty sort of player and get a start once in a while, then he's going to make this team because of the dimension of power that he brings. I mean, he is true power. I've said this a few times, but I think it's worth repeating over and over and over. He led AAA in home runs playing in the International League. And the general book on the AAA leagues, the Pacific Coast League is the hitters league. It's got places like Colorado Springs and Albuquerque and Salt Lake City. So it's the hitters league. And then the the International League is the pitchers league. And the numbers are, if you go compare league leaders and ERA versus one league to the other and then do the same thing with the offensive numbers, it's incredible how different they are from the Pacific Coast League to the International League. So, Greg, the fact that he led AAA in, in home runs, and he did it in the International League. 30 home runs in the International League has got to be the equivalent of a, of a 40 home run season in the, in the Pacific Coast League. That is, that's incredible that he was able to do that. Yeah, the Indians are pretty good, too. Uh, maybe just no room for the guy, but uh, he's certainly got an op- opportunity to make this team. I, I kind of think he will, based upon what I've seen. He just, you know, Eric Thames is a guy who could hit you know 20 home runs, 30 home runs. Travis Shaw has hit the ball very well, and being a lefty in Miller Park, I think, favors both of those guys in terms of their power numbers. And we know what Braun can do. And, and even Jonathan VR was uh, about a 21 home run, uh, 20 home run kind of guy. But in a guy like Aguiar, you've got a right-handed stick who can do it and, and has power to all fields. So I think there's some intrigue there. And, again, I, I think it would have to be a spot duty. I think Jason Rogers from a couple of years ago is one of the best pinch hitters in all of Major League Baseball uh, with occasional pop and could play first base but wasn't an everyday performer at first base with Adam Lind. So the Brewers ultimately traded him, oddly enough, for Keon Broxton. Uh, but you need those kind of players. He's a one-trick pony, right? He's not going to do anything else but play first base. 
So you have to decide if that fits into your overall plans. You've got several guys who can play for his base on this roster, but there's definitely some intrigue there. There was some concern, I think, starting to mount for Eric Thames. And you know, there's three weeks left in spring training. These numbers are going to start mattering here in a week or so. But Thames does have three hits in his last couple games. He finally hit his his first spring training home run. I think a lot of people, just, just based off those two games, starting to breathe a little bit easier just seeing Thames come around a bit at the plate. Yeah, I talked to him a couple of days ago, and I asked him just you know, why Korea, and he said he just he had to get out of the states. He felt like he was in a bad spot in his career, and he thought he had to resurrect his career. And bouncing around four teams in just a handful of seasons, it wasn't giving him the kind of stability he was looking for. Again, he wasn't producing, but the opportunities weren't there as well. And what he did in Korea was nothing short of phenomenal. And when I talked to David Stearns about him on Monday, I, first of all, I wanted to. I wanted David Stearns to compare the league, and he thought the Korean league that Thames played in last year was somewhere between AA and AAA. Okay, that's a comparative that I think we can wrap our arms around. And I said, well, what was the big difference? You know, he obviously saw something in him. He said when Eric Thames was in the, the league, Major League Baseball, in you know, 2008, 2009, and so on, he said hitting a breaking ball was impossible. He said he went to a Korean league that is heavy, with heavy breaking ball pitchers, and he flourished. So a weakness turned into a strength. Now, again, you've you got to translate that back to Major League Baseball, but I think he liked the work ethic. I think he liked the signs of growth from Thames, who is 30, right? He's not a spring chicken. Uh, but certainly very well built, takes his health, takes his fitness seriously. And, and, again, I think could be a guy that hitting left-handed could find the confines of Miller Park yeah, rather pleasant. Uh, absolutely, and we're, I think we're going to see that with Travis Shaw as well. The, the numbers are going to go up for Shaw because of the ballpark that he's playing, and especially as it gets he, warm. He's got a great swing, too. He, yeah. He's got a great natural swing. He really does. It's been fun to watch him. When when the panels are open and the roof is open, those guys might. Uh, it, it's going to be fun to see those batting averages and those power numbers, I think, go up as the season goes along. One more break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up this edition of Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. up this edition of Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley, Greg Matzik down at uh, Maryvale Baseball Park as we uh, as he's been covering Brewers Spring Training. Greg, has there been any talk? There, there's been a lot of discussion recently about the future of spring training for the Brewers. What's going to happen with the ballpark? If they're going to have to get into a new facility, maybe sharing a facility with, with another team. So many of those facilities down in Arizona, whether it's the Cubs facility, whether it's Talking Stick, uh, they are just palaces in terms of uh, what they've got going on. Have you heard much scuttlebutt in terms of the future of uh, Brewers Spring Training and where they're going to train? going forward? Yeah, I talked a little bit to David Stearns about that on Monday, and what he likes about the complex here at Maryvale is that it's it's only the Brewers. They don't share it with another team, so they've got full run of the minor league facilities that are here. There's multiple diamonds where work is going on day in and day out. Uh, it's a fall league home for the Brewers, so from that standpoint, they like the complex, but the complex is in need of a facelift. It's been the home of the Brewers since 1998. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been here or not before, Matt, but it, it looks like a complex that was from 1998. Yeah. I mean, it just needs some updating and a facelift. And comparatively speaking, you know, Talking Stick and Sloan Park, where the Cubs play, and you know, the Diamondbacks and Rockies share a stadium, I, those are beautiful. I mean, and they sell out. They sell out Sloan Park day in and day out for the Cubs. Talking Stick is a gorgeous resort on the complex of you know, golf courses and a casino and a beautiful hotel. 
that is spot on. I mean, it, it, to me, that is the crown jewel of the Cactus League. And there are some other parks that are pretty nice in a nice setting. The knock on Maryvale is, and I think the location is okay in terms of getting to other parks. It's not the nicest area in the greater Phoenix area. They don't play night games here because of safety, and that's the truth. But they do like the complex being their own home. I'll tell you this much. They will not move to Florida. As long as Mark Atanasio owns the Milwaukee Brewers, this team will not play spring training baseball in Florida. Too easy for Atanasio to get yeah. from L.A. to Arizona. You've got a, a lot of players who make their offseason home in this area so they can stay at home during the course of spring training. And when you're in Florida and you're doing spring training, I mean, you're talking about two-hour bus rides to get from one part to the next. Here, your longest drive is you know, maybe 45 minutes. So uh, it's a much more manageable state to do your spring training in as well. So I think they stay here, but I think this whole complex gets a dramatic facelift. I don't think brand new is what they're going to get. Well, Greg, great work this week. It was fun doing the show with you, and we'll, uh, we'll see you when you get back to town. Sounds good, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, there's Greg Matzik. I'm Matt Pauley. We'll talk to you with another edition of Brewers Weekly next week here on WTMJ.